Thank you for that introduction. Hi. Hi. My name is Sarah. I want to tell you a story. In the story, it starts with a girl. Pronouns she, her, hers. And this girl, she had a lot of questions about the world. She also had questions about herself. This is a story about me. When I went to college, I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a politician. Who knows what a politician does? Do you want to answer? You don't have to. Okay. Anybody want to tell us what a politician does? Okay. Don't they like vote on laws? They, they absolutely vote on laws. Thank you for your answer. That's awesome. So I wanted to participate in government, and I wanted to uh, influence policy and rules and laws, specifically ones that were related to women and girls. Women and girls, not just in my country, but all around the world. I figured, though, that before I did something like that, I needed to figure out about the experience of women and girls all over the world, right? I needed to know what their life looked like. So, I studied Arabic for a couple of years, and then I moved to Oman. And then I moved to Morocco. So we're gonna do a little geography just for a second. We've got the beautiful, enormous continent of Africa, right? It's not a country, it's a continent. There's actually over 50 countries on the continent of Africa. We also have this region up in the Northeast that's also white, this is called the Middle East. So Oman is the country here with this green dot. It's right next to Saudi Arabia, it's above Yemen, next to the Emirates, and it's on the Arab Gulf that feeds into the Indian Ocean, okay? Morocco, on the other hand, is in North Africa, over here where this blue dot is. So we're south of Spain, so Europe is up there. We've got this big country of Algeria, and then we've got a territory called the Western Sahara. So I got to do and see a lot of really cool things when I was in Oman. I got to ride camels across the northern Sahara. I got to visit villages in the mountains of Muscat, which is the capital of Oman. I got to go to places like this. This is the Shawara Tannery in Fes, Morocco, which is, it's, centuries old. It's where they, they create leather and they dye leather different colors. And then this picture. Can everyone see this picture down here? If you can't, get up and move and check it out because I'm going to ask you a question about it. Sorry, I'm in your way. Okay, my question is, what do you think I'm feeling in this photo? This is like an old-fashioned selfie. I had to take it with an actual camera. 
What is, what do you think I'm feeling? What do you guys think? You can shout it out. Tired, awesome. What else? Hot, overwhelmed, sad, heat exhaustion, <laughs> amazed, excited. Oh my God, you guys are so good at this. So I want to place you in Oman for a moment, okay? Just a moment. I want to try and describe something that is very difficult for me to describe. So, okay, imagine this. Oman, if you'll remember, was that country that was in the Middle East, right? And the Middle East is so hot, right? Most of it is a desert. It's extremely hot. You step outside and you are covered in salt because you sweat, right? But the sweat immediately dries. So everything, all of you covered in salt, your hairline, salt, this space where your elbow meets here, your armpits between your fingers, salt, all the time. You walk outside. So I'm on this deserted desert island with 10 of my friends, all of them Americans. Um, and we had just spent the last two hours on this boat ride from the capital of Oman. We had taken a boat, a very small boat, probably the size of one of these tables with the chairs. Um, there were a lot of us in this boat, and the, the battery went out twice. And then they started saying mafi petrol, and in Arabic, mafi means there is none. We are out. We ran out of gas. It took forever. Finally, we get to this island. And like I said, it's a desert island. Oman doesn't have trees. Really, they have more brush or bushes, like reeds and things. So we made it to this island. We didn't think we were actually going to make it because it, it took so long. And the, we kept getting water in the boat. And all of our stuff was soaking wet. So we finally land. And we're walking around. And the whole thing is sand and rocks. Just sand and rocks with small bushes, a little bit of brush. And myself and a couple of my friends were trying to scout out, where are we going to sleep? Where are we going to set up the campfire? And so we're walking around, and we hear something. And it's rustling in some of the, the rushes and the reeds beside us. I forgot to tell you, it's the middle of the night. So it's very, very dark. We do have some moonlight, and that's kind of how we're navigating, just by the light of the moon, okay? And so we're hearing something, and I mean, we're just 10 kids who got on a crazy boat to go to an island that nobody knows about. We didn't bring protection. We didn't bring a way to defend ourselves, and we're hearing a sound, and it sounds like something really big, okay? And instead of going away from it, we go towards it. And I think it, we went towards it because the sound was big, but it sounded slow. It sounded gentle. And it was rhythmic, the noise it was making. So I remember the three of us, we kind of walked slowly towards the sound. And then we froze. Because right in front of us was an enormous mother sea turtle who was laying eggs in a shallow sand bowl just in front of us, just walking along this beach, we witnessed this thing. We stumbled upon something so incredible, so prehistoric. It just stopped us in our tracks. We just absolutely froze. Have you ever accidentally found something that was really special? 
how it felt. It felt like magic. It felt holy. So we were watching this mother sea turtle, and of course sea turtles are endangered, right? And so we didn't want to interfere at any, in any way. And so we very, very carefully and very quietly stepped backwards. And we went back and we found our friends. And we told them not to go to that part of the beach, right, where the mother sea turtle was. And I remember looking back as we walked away. And again, the moonlight was just bright enough that you could kind of see things that were glistening. And I remember seeing other mother sea turtles all along the beach all laying these nests of perfect, glowing white eggs. So the next day was total chaos. The boat didn't come, the boat didn't come, the boat didn't come, the boat was supposed to come, and the boat didn't come. We're getting progressively more and more hot. I forgot to tell you, you can't go in the water. So we're on an island, but the water is so hot that it makes it worse if you go swimming, okay? The sun keeps moving, and we're trying to create structures out of, like, the straw mats that we had slept on. We're running out of food. Our phones aren't working. Uh, eventually, the boat comes. At, at nighttime, it comes, and we all breathe a sigh of relief. But this photo, I took this picture of myself the morning after the sea turtle. And when I look at that picture... I see a girl who is trying to figure it all out. I think she's all of the things that you mentioned. She is both amazed at the power of the universe, and she is terrified by it, at all of its meaning and truth and wonder. Sorry, my remote. A great deal of the meaning and truth and wonder that I experienced when I was in Middle East and North Africa was connected to all the incredible women that I lived with, I danced with, I carried out research with, I shared meals and secrets with, women and girls that I expected to be so different than me. And we were so alike. These were women and girls who dealt with oppression, gender inequality, classism, sexism, expectations of subservience. And these were also women and girls who were confident. They were no nonsense. They took no prisoners. They pulled no punches. They were total masters of their worlds. They were bold and smart, and strong, and driven, they were inspiring. I wanted to be them. With all that I had learned about women and girls from Oman and Morocco, I came home to the US, and I graduated from college. And I moved to our nation's capital moved to Washington, D.C., and I started working in a nonprofit that was, had international ties, and when I did so, I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. I didn't want to be a politician. I wanted to be a diplomat. 
Does anyone know what a diplomat is? That's fair. That's a tough one. So I wanted to live and work in different countries all over the world representing important causes. Specifically, I wanted to change perceptions on what women and girls can and are allowed to do and be and become. So I'm working at this nonprofit, and my office is one city block from the White House. Who lives in the White House? You. Joe Biden, accurate. At the time, it wasn't Joe Biden, but the president of the United States lives at the White House always, right? That's where they live. And during that time, I started to realize that something had been very wrong for a while. Something wrong with me. I had been unhealthy for a long time. And I was really, really alone in Washington, D.C. So I became extremely mentally ill. Who in this room has heard of mental illness? Yeah? Awesome. Great. It's so good to see so many hands. So I decided I needed to leave the country again. I decided that for my mental health, I would leave the United States, and I joined the Peace Corps, and I went to Kenya. So again, we have our map of the beautiful continent of Africa. Kenya is down here, this blue circle, if you all can see it. So we're south of Ethiopia. We've got Somalia over here, South Sudan, Uganda. Tanzania is beneath, and we're right on the Indian Ocean. So the Peace Corps is an organization through the U.S. government, and they send you somewhere to live for two or more years, and they make sure that there's a roof over your head so you don't get rained on, right? And they give you just enough money to feed yourself. And then you do whatever your host site asks of you. Whatever jobs they give you, you do them. You are not paid for this work. And you are not allowed to accept money for this work. That's what it means to be a volunteer. In Kenya, it didn't really matter what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was asked to be certain things. And I did my best. So in Kenya, one of the main things that I was asked to be was a pharmacist. What does a pharmacist do? Let's shout it out. Just shout it out. Medication, right? Yes. So I was in charge of organizing and stocking um, and uh, recording medication use. I also was the one, um, these two outside photos, that's a government clinic I worked at. The center photo, I'm in the back of an ambulance, which was at a um, small mission clinic but I was also a pharmacist. So my job was also to receive a prescription from a patient that a doctor had written them, and then I fill that prescription. So I count out the right medicines, I prepare the, the solution if it was a, um, like a, a, a syrup solution, and then I explain in either Maasai or in um, Swahili, depending on what that patient needed, 
how they need to take their medication. So this is one of the primary jobs that I did. I was also a midwife. What does a midwife do? Shout it out. Deliver babies. You guys are awesome. Um, let's see. I was a vaccinator. So we would travel throughout the Loita watershed, and we would go and give shots to infants and toddlers who needed inoculations. I was an EMT. So get this. We lived in this village. It was two and a half hours to a hospital, and the roads are dirt. There is no asphalt, and in the rainy season, there are no roads. So they needed somebody to sit in the back, right, with any of the patients that we were transporting and make sure that they're okay for two and a half hours or sometimes four hours, right, if the roads were bad. Let's see. I was a translator, so I did almost everything in Swahili, which is a language that I learned when I was in Kenya. I also was learning Ma, which is the Maasai language. A lot of the nuns that we worked with only spoke English, and so... In a day, we're speaking maybe three different languages at different points. Um, what else? A laboratory technician. Uh, so I did a lot of testing, specifically HIV testing, and I'll speak a little bit more about that in a second. The other really big job that I had was being a health educator. So myself and Patrick and Sister Sylvie, we'd load up the ambulance and we'd head off to Sinon or Kipersis, Ilangada, Olodobrogoni, and we would offer free medical care, free medication to any of the residents that wanted it or needed it. And then I would offer these free health talks on subject matters that they felt that were important, that the villagers wanted to hear more about or learn more about. So as you can see me here with my awesome haircut, um, I would stand in front of these homemade signs that I made, and I would say things like, Huyu ni nani? Huyu, angalia. Huyu ndudu anitwa nani? And we would talk back and forth. And I would be speaking strictly in Swahili. And Patrick would translate everything that I said. Oh boy, five minutes. Uh, everything that I said into the Maasai language. Um, and we would, we would go like that. So in Kenya, one thing that I learned was the importance of language and listening and how it impacts how we understand our own and others' cultures. I'm just trying to figure out how to speed this along. So I'm doing all these jobs, right? Like I listed like 10 jobs just then. And I'm doing almost everything in Kiswahili and or Maasai. I'm doing hard things. And I remember at one point realizing that me. A girl, just a girl, a demographic that all over our world is dismissed, overlooked, undermined, rejected, ignored, stalled, stopped, shut down, shut up, silenced. Me? I could do anything. I learned that wasichana wanaweza kufanya chochote. So we're going to learn a little bit of Swahili together, okay? But I won't, I won't make it hard. We'll do it together. I've got some awesome photos from the Maasai Mara, which is essentially a zoo that doesn't have walls or fences. You just kind of are with the animals. Um, so let's do it together. I will say the word, and then I'm going to have you guys say it back to me, okay? All right. Our first word is wasichana. Wasichana. 
Awesome. So Wasichana means girls. Wanaweza. So Wanaweza means they can. Kufanya. Awesome. Kufanya is the verb to do. And let's round it out with chochote. Awesome. So chochote means anything. So we're going to say this sentence together, and we can do it pretty slow, okay? But we'll say it at the count of three. One, two, three. Wasichana, wanaweza, kufanya, chochote. Girls can do anything. So with this idea in mind that girls can do anything, I was asked to do one final job in Kenya. In our village of Narosura, there were a lot of people living with HIV. HIV stands for the Human Immunodeficiency Virus, a virus that can, but does not always, lead to a stage of illness called AIDS, Acquired Immunodeficiency Syndrome. So there is enormous stigma about HIV all over the world, every country, every continent. And there was stigma in my village. Stigma means that people who were living in my village and didn't have the virus looked down on people who did have the virus, and they treated them poorly. So with this in mind, I was asked to start a support group for individuals living with HIV in our village. And Patrick, this is Patrick, my colleague, um, he and I were able to hold this space for women who were living with HIV where they could feel safe and respected and learn from each other. So when I became involved in this support group, I knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a mental health therapist. So I came home from Kenya and I studied therapy I wanted to be able to support people through counseling to help make their mental wellness more balanced and secure. And since becoming a therapist, I've worked in a lot of different settings, and I'll just go through these quickly. I worked at a syringe exchange at HIV clinic up in Fort Collins. I can't get enough, so I went back to Africa for a year. I did mental health development work on the island of Zanzibar which is an autonomous province off the coast of Tanzania. I came back, and I worked at a halfway house in Greeley, Colorado. A halfway house is where people live when they're transitioning out of prison and back into the community. I moved down to La Junta, excuse me, and I started working at Bent County Correctional Facility as a therapist, which is a prison down the road. And now I offer therapy services to students here at Otero, the very school you will be exploring today. Today I've worked with over 400 clients and clocked over 2,000 session hours. And working in mental health, I get to do all of the things I've tried to this point. Some days I am an advocate fighting for client rights. Some days I am an educator helping clients learn about healthy relationships. 
Some days, I am a project manager designing and implementing programming for the students on this campus. And every day, every day, I get to offer understanding and support using language and listening. That is what honors me most about the work that I do. Every day, people decide to trust me. This story started with a girl, pronouns she, her, hers, and I love working in the mental health field. But I'm still that girl with all of those questions. That's why I've tried so many things. That's why I keep trying so many things. Who knows? Next, maybe I'll be, I don't know, an architect, an accountant, an astrophysicist. I have proven to myself that I can be whatever I want to be. And that is how I know you can be whatever you want to be. The world is vast, but you are limitless. Wasichana wanaweza kufanya chochote, right? Let's say it one more time together, okay? And then I'll get out of here. Okay, and the count of three, really loud. Let's scare people. One, two, three. Wasichana wanaweza kufanya chochote. Girls can do anything. Thank you.